0: Everyone, welcome to an exciting episode of ARG Presents. I am Amigo Aaron, joined by a man who, much like the subject of today's show, is both hard to control and wasn't well-received. I give you the Brit. Hey, what's going on, man? What's going on, the Brent? How are you this week? I'm doing well. You came in here like a house of fire. He's ready to rock and roll. No, I used all my energy. I'm ready for a nap. (laughs) (laughs) We shot that, didn't you? So, you know... We spun the wheel last week, Brentster. We did. We made the deal, and it's an exciting deal. It's a deal that's overlooked. I can't believe we never got to this console. Uh, But this week, in an exciting twist of fate, we'll be taking on the Atari 5200, the 5200, live in studio. Now, Brent, uh, we never had a 5200 back in the age. if you'll recall. Did you know well, I mean, what? technically, we never had a 2600. Well, that's well, we had one, eventually. No, so, I guess my question is, have you played one of these live and in person? A 5200? That's right. Nope. nope. Really? No, None of my friends had one of these, either. Uh, which is funny, because everyone I knew had some sort of 5200 or a or spinoff, or a 2600. So, yeah. I mean, everyone had a VCS or a Sears 2600. Those things sold like hotcakes, brother. But these things, not so much. Nah. Let's dip, it. Let's dip our toe in the pool this thing. I should mention that I own one of these, and I've actually had it on the show before. Uh, if you if you go all the way back uh, and look at uh, ep- another episode of the show, let me get the exact one here. I kept it up so I could tell you. It was episode uh, 71, Pack-In Games. It was our first little brush with the Atari 5200. I actually brought the 5200 on the show, uh, but I didn't bring it on the show this week, Brendan. Why do you think that was? Because it's a huge mass. That's right. It would literally take up this whole table. It's a big monstrosity yeah. of a huge gimmick. So, And that's coming from a huge mass. Yeah. So the 5200, of course, uh, manufactured by Atari Incorporated. Uh, those fine folks over at Atari. They weren't fine <clears throat> at this point. They were eh. <laughs> this was their second effort in the console domain. Yeah. Uh, this thing was released way back in 1982 and came out to... Uh, was an upgrade or a pro, or the uh, uh, answer to the Atari Twenty Six Hundred, the super successful VCS that had sold millions and millions, hundreds million, hundred million, thirty million. It was a ton. It was a ton of of, of sold consoles back <laughs> in those days. And like I said, the funny thing about the Atari Twenty Six Hundred and its spawn is that. Uh, a lot of, uh, of its competitors at that point were or, or were close to playing it as well. The 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 uh Vision had an Atari 2600 adapter. Yep. The Intellivision had an Atari 2600 adapter. Yep. Uh, both Coleco and Mattel had released standalone clones of the yep. Atari 2600. Everything was playing this sucker. But it it was the Wild West back then. You could do that kind of craziness. (laughs) Correct. Although, ironically, there is one console that didn't play it out of the box. The Atari 5200. Whoops. We'll get to that in a moment. So, let's talk about this thing. This thing was known as the Atari 5200 Super System, man. No, it wasn't. Yeah, it was. No one ever called it That was on the box. It was on the box. So, let me tell you how this thing worked. Atari was sitting around. They're like, listen. We've had a computer, an 8-bit computer, out for a couple years now, yeah. all right. And by this time, when they released the 8-bit computer, it, it, I mean it was pretty well received. Oh yeah. Then you've got here comes Commodore with the PET. Apples out there, and they're they're selling their systems for big money. And and the Atari 8-bit wasn't selling for a ton of cash. So Atari was like, listen, we're gonna we're gonna get some money out of this 8-bit system. Let's turn it. Let's console consoleize this sucker and consoleize they did. And so. Uh, the Atari 5200 is effectively, a, and for the most part, a consoleized version of the Atari 8-bit machine. That's correct. And uh, why yeah. 8-bit machines, I mean your Atari 400 at the time, Atari 800. Yeah. Those were your big babies at the time. Now, seems like a good idea. Well, but, I don't think so. <laughs> well, well, I mean, you got to think, the Atari 8-bits were w- well ahead of most... I mean, these were pretty powerful machines in their day. Oh, yeah. No, I, yeah. It was certainly... <clears throat> I mean, I love playing with the eight bit system yeah. computers. Oh yeah, they're, and they're still lots of fun to play with now. So they, they they didn't just it wasn't a straight like it wasn't a straight conversion from the computer. No, that the would have yeah. been smart. And they had their they they really it was that was a strange decision to be yeah. honest with you, not too much, because it, it, you could port stuff you could actually develop fifty two hundred cards on an Atari computer uh, and but then use that to port them over, which yeah. was good. But there were some incompatibilities that made it so it was not exactly a straight shot. And there's a list of chips and stuff that, that do that, but you know, it, it is what it is. So <clears throat> this is the way they decided to do it. Now, uh, when this game when this thing was in pre-production, uh, the it was called, I like this name, the Atari Video System X. That's a cool that's a cool guy name if I ever heard one. Advanced Video Computer System. That was the full name. So the Atari Video System X. Dash advanced video computer system now that right there rolls off the tongue brother <laughs> I love the code name for this though in true Atari fashion Pam <laughs> Pam was the code name now <gasps> there are rumors as to why the code name was Pam one of them is they said it's different personal arcade machine but I, I, I prefer rumor B. Named after a chick in the office. Yeah, that's the way Atari used yeah. to do it. It's much like the it, Commodore as well. In lieu of your, uh, in lieu of your annual bonus, we'll name something after you. So let's talk about this bad boy. We've mentioned its monstrous size. Uh, yes, I've, I've got the dimensions here: thirteen inches by fifteen inches by 4 and a, half, uh, four and a quarter inches thick. So that shows that's a monster. Wow. It's a monster. By today's standards, this is still a huge console. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. Now. Part of the reason it's so freaking big is it's got an actual drawer in the back that you can put cartridges in. So a huge chunk of it is just an extension. Storage, yeah. Listen, I like this idea, but I hate this idea. No. This thing weighs a ton. You could beat a man to death with this console. Yep. It is nasty. And you can do it while you're playing it. <laughs> um, if only you could control it like that. Yeah. So it was a huge system right out of the gate. Uh, it also had four... At the, uh, for the original version, four controller ports. Left yeah. Right now, as you know, underutilized. The Atari <laughs> 2600 controller port was the ipso facto standard in controller port. Yeah, certainly through the seventies you know, the, the and eighties. The Coleco Vision had those ports. Yeah. The Intellivision had those ports. The uh, the uh, um, Sega Sega machines had them for years. System, the Amiga, yeah. the Commodore 64. They all had them, right? Well, guess what didn't have them? <laughs> Atari 5200, that's what. <laughs> Screw that. Uh, why did it not have them? Well, these controllers were cool guy controllers. You know, anyone can have those uh, old Atari controllers with one button. And admittedly, when you're releasing the Super System X, you can't just put one button on that sucker. you got to fully rig that thing. So what was the style of the time? Well, you had to have a little stubby control uh, disc or, or joystick, and then a big uh, wacky telephone-like control, like gimmick on it with all the numbers and stuff. The Atari Target 200 was right there. They were they were right in the ballpark. One button not enough. Fourteen buttons yeah. probably too many. It had a, it had a numeric keypad, two fire buttons on each side of the controller. That's four, and it had a pause, start, and reset on it. Yeah. Now that now pause, outstanding. Got to have a pause button on it. That's great. Having those buttons on it is a good idea. What killed this thing dead as Julius Caesar, Brent, was the was the actual joystick. Now, the actual the the actual guts of the joystick. This joystick very. When, this is a very a gutsy move by Atari. Was an analog joystick. Yep. Okay. Pretty good. all right? However, uh, it insta broke. I saw a I saw a fellow do a breakdown of these sticks He goes. These sticks are literally, Are are they the most notoriously bad stick in the history of consoles? They've got to They're be. They're real up there. I'm trying They're to think of one. They're real up there. And the main reason this one is so high in the running is is straight up because it sucks. It breaks. Uh, it's it's a uh, uh, it will continuously fail. It's guaranteed over time to not work. Okay, there's no there's. There, it will not work eventually the only thing that saves this from the the runaway worst joystick of all time is it is detachable from the system right yeah oh yeah yeah it's the only thing that you're saves right. It. you're right you're right cuz they having computers and they there was yeah. all and uh, uh but th- these things were horrible now why were they so bad well they they when they were making these things that people developing were like listen uh, we're, these are not good these have a problem they they we're in a hurry. We've got budgetary concerns, and they sped them through. But anyway, I watched the guy take these apart, and the actual, the components that make up parts of Joystick, basically, the second they're exposed to air, they start to deteriorate. The rubber, <laughs> and so they, you will never find one of these in good shape, ever. It's impossible. So these things were bad. However, I will give them the credit on the, on the uh, actual uh, pause and reset. And really, the funny thing about these is if you've got a If you've got a good working one, right, I mean, if you could find one, the joystick itself and the pad aren't bad. That's what makes it worse. I mean, if you compare it to, like, the ColecoVision or the Intellivision. Oh, yeah. that, even the the Intellivision. Like, these are way better sticks. They feel better. They're more substantial. It's a shame that they couldn't get those uh, up and running. Something else that was a real bizarre situation, and I'm going to spell this out for the people because it's so weird. Most consoles of the time had RF out. In fact, they all had it. Yeah. That's the old switch box on the TV gimmick. You plug your There's a video cord that goes from your from your console or computer into that switch thing, and you switch it to go from computer to TV. Simple. Well, Atari tried to innovate here as well, and so what they did <clears throat> is they developed an RF box thing that goes in the back of your TV that you plug that you plug your computer your Atari into. But you also plug in. That's where the power to the console runs. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I knew about this. Think about well. this for a minute. You get this box. You hook it to your You hook it to the little screws in the back of your TV uh, to, uh, you know, your antenna screws, or your or your coax. How you do it? And you plug into compu- the uh, console. Then you take the power jack, plug it in the wall, and plug that into the into the back of your TV. I can tell you, I have one of these. <laughs> And I am extremely hesitant to ever do this. <laughs> Ow. Because, in fact, I've never played mine. And because, I'm, because every time I plug that thing into power, I see sparks, and I'm like, screw this. Because effectively, that cable delivers both RF signal and power to your console. Now, why would they do this, you ask? Well, it's a very simple and logical reason to, to uh, cut down on the amount of cables running across your house. That's what they did it for. So, in a way, it's an ingenious thing to do. In another way, it's scary as hell. <laughs> I, it's not something I ever wanted to do uh, and, and and never did. It was, it was a very unusual way to do things. Now, yeah, the 5200 is great at thinking of a problem and like, we're going to fix that. And then they get, what, 90% through fixing it. Yeah. And they either like, eh, it's good enough. Or like, they said, man, this is a bad idea. Eh, let's do it anyway. <laughs> Well, so get this. There's another advantage to it as well. On a, with a switch box, you have a switch on the back to use the, to go from TV to right. console. With this rig, they've got, as soon as you turn the 5200 on, bam, it's on the it screen. Takes over, yeah. And as soon as you turn it off, it's off the screen. So you can see the more advantage of this. Now, this ended up being uh, taken out of the second model. Uh, they also went from, two, from four joystick ports to two ports in to cut down. Uh, well because oh. there was hardly anything. There were things that, that used the four players. There were hardly any. I, I think the real sports <clears throat> might have dabbled with them, but there was very very few games that actually did anything with them. Yeah. There weren't a ton made that had that that had the normal RF out, but that was like the last batch that had yeah. those. Uh but uh I have the four ports uh with the crazy RF and it's it's I don't like it. And modifying this thing is no easy task either. Uh <clears throat> just not not the best. Now, got, we talked about the controllers a minute ago. They did have some third-party controller support from Wicco. I've seen these Wicco sticks. In fact, uh, they look okay. I've never actually controlled anything with them, but they're, they're tough to find. You know? So it is what it is with the Wicco sticks. So let's talk about some games that came out for this thing. You know, When we, when we covered the 5200 way back, uh, briefly, and when we talked about the packing games. do you remember what? Do you remember the packing game that was included with it back in the day? I believe this was Breakout. That's right. right. A stupid thing to include, yeah. by the way. And by the way, if you'll recall from that episode, a game that didn't use any of the 5200's hundred's new graphical abilities yeah. in it, any way. It, yeah, it, it looked like garbage. It played like garbage. It was garbage. I mean, I don't think it played that poorly. It's and it, of course it, you It did use the. Uh, the uh, the actual joystick analog, which that made that made a big difference. A lot of the games that got ported to the uh, 5200 were Atari 2600 games. yeah, okay. And so what did you get? Well, you got slightly updated or to some extent large really upgraded. Uh, new games that were the exact same things you'd played before—that was the issue. This it, is the Atari tradition, isn't yeah. it, brand? Yeah, Atari always wanted right. all their all their games to be as close to each other as possible, even when you could make them better. Well, they—I honestly don't know why they they bothered to port some of these things. But one thing that did get did happen is you got access to some of the eight bit computer games, and they were—if uh, you—if you've played much Atari eight bit. And God knows I've played plenty of it. There are plenty of excellent titles out there uh, for the Atari 8-bit machine. Absolutely, yeah. That much said, uh, there was not a huge run of uh, games on the uh, on the Pit 200. Uh, the number of games on this thing officially released, you had 69 games. So I think it's kind of interesting. Not a huge t- not a huge amount of games. And by the way, just a little tidbit. I don't want to steal your thunder here, but uh, one of the games we're covering today is was actually the last officially released game in the fifty one. Yeah, we'll go over that. Yeah, um, it's funny when this when this system um uh, tanked. I mean, it was pretty obvious that it. I mean, to put it in perspective, the Atari twenty six hundred officially sold thirty million units. Now again, no we, that's not. Oh no, the twenty six hundred. Oh, okay, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Keeping in mind that that's not counting the unofficial. Uh, or the, uh, the c- clones. Clones, and the sh- offshoot, yeah. And so when, but, when this thing came out, and not only did it have sort of a limited library out of the gate, it also didn't play the huge library of games that people already had. And let me tell you something, backwards compatibility was a big deal back in, in this yeah. time. It's not like today where you can sort of get away with it or it's a happy secondary thing. <clears throat> and so pretty uh, when they released the second version of the uh, 5200, they actually released a box that would let you play Atari games on it. I've actually yeah. seen this box. I almost but bought it. But it's pretty rare. I've seen it. It's not. It's not even that expensive to get anymore. But it's it's sort of sort of pointless, you know. Ultimately, well, I mean, uh, yeah. if you've got a twenty six hundred, and those things are super cheap now. But at the time, it was a whole you know a whole different world, obviously. Uh, but the the second version was probably a better version to have released, and there was even a third version talked about where they were going to eliminate the cartridge uh, area in the back, which. Would have been a a pretty a pretty good move, but ultimately the games on this thing were they were very very much superior to the uh, the twenty six hundred for the most part. Oh, they killed the twenty six hundred. You know? But yeah. I mean, not everything. But I mean, people had played these games. This was a problem that continued to hound Atari and to sort of hounds them to this day. And which is funny, but they just, they're living on their past stuff. And then you know, contemporize, man. Well, you know, I mean, Atari's dead, man. Well, you know what I mean. <laughs> so. um... Anyway, I mentioned there were six games released for this thing. Uh, there were some pretty standout titles. I'm not sure if I if I've got one that I would say was the best uh, title, but I mean a lot of these titles. If you, I mean, they are if you've got a fifty two hundred or if you've got an Atari eight bit machine at home, you uh, you know these you'll you'll have played most of these because most of these uh, they you know eventually they figured out a way to until you can, any of these that weren't released on the computers you could bring over and play on the on the computer with an emulator. So it's not that it's not that hard to play them. I don't know anyone right now, and you know, I know a lot of people that are in emulation or into uh, uh, owning these consoles. I don't think I know anyone that sits around playing these things right now today. A uh, 5200? Uh, uh, yeah. But no. and, and it's mostly a combination of the controller yeah. and the fact that they're just a real hassle and weird to hook up. Yeah. Now, yeah, this is, this is one that, I mean, like you said, you own one, but emulation is the way to go. Yeah, yeah. Now the, the the machine that was released after this was would, would, uh, eventually, which is another console that I've got, the Atari seventy eight hundred. Seventy eight hundred continued the tradition of, of really stupid joysticks, although it wasn't as bad as 5200. Uh, but it came, it shipped right out of the gate with twenty six hundred compatibility, which is why it's why it's so popular amongst collectors because it plays all the seventy eight hundred games and the uh, also plays the Atari twenty six hundred games. Yeah. The funny thing about seventy eight hundred is uh, it's not. A quantum Leap graphically. In fact, it also has the exact same sound chip as the 2600. Well, which was yeah, a, a real dumb move. They, they didn't. Yeah, Atari's never focused on on sound for the most part. Well, if it, 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 one wonders what they were thinking on that, uh, so but I mean, I, it's I hate to come down on a console, you know, but effectively this console was doomed from jump streams. Well, it made poor choices. It, it had it had a lot of good ideas. And, (coughs) excuse me, I I am, uh, uh, I'm I'm impressed that they tried to fix problems. They saw, they were able to see problems that were happening in the console world, and they tried to fix them, but they just didn't go the extra mile to smooth all that stuff out. Yeah, you know, it's funny, I was just reading, someone in our chat, I like the Amiga Bang, mentioned that Pitfall 2 had a good conversion here. Now, I'm assuming that Pitfall 2 on the uh, 5200 the same as the 8-bit, and it's it's topical that he would bring that up. I can't I can't tell if he's trolling me or if he's just asking. Uh, two weeks ago, I actually sat down and beat Pitfall Two on the on the uh, on my uh, XEGS Atari, and I was so proud of myself, bricks because I've spent years trying to beat this game. Mm-hmm. And then I found out that the Atari version has a whole extra level, yes. yeah. and it's the level of absolute certain death. Yeah, yeah. And I, if it's in the 5200 version, low be the man that gets the end of this game thinking he's won, because. <laughs> I, and I'll give them credit, but you were mentioning, and I want to bring this up because of what you said. You mentioned that Atari like to keep kind of things kind of standard across the board when they when they released Pitfall 2 for the eight bits. Uh, they and they knew those extra levels were in there. Atari wouldn't let them tell anyone, and would and told them to get rid of them. Yeah, yeah, because they wanted like a, Atari was big uniformity, about uniformity. They yeah. wanted everything to be the same across and so all the platforms, so they just left them in there anyway because psh, Activision don't they don't care. Clearly, they don't give a <laughs> crap about Atari, and so there you go. So anyway, the fifty two hundred a uh, uh, um, an interesting upgrade, uh, but sadly flawed. Now, if you do have one of these and you do have a working stick. Or so, I mean, we're living in an age now where there there's they're always in, ways to. Fix. That's right. Yeah. There are always. This is the probably the. This is it's funny. Some of these older systems are are benefited by being st- uh, still alive in the future. And the one that comes to mind instantly is the CD32, the Amiga C30, because we're living in an age where people go through and upgrade the hardware and also make give you the ability to play games and like that you couldn't play on them before. And the 5200 is no exception in that department. Uh, if if, and if you are lucky enough to still have a working one, and you also have a, a working way to control these games, then you've got a pretty decent little machine here. It's not like the, we've gl- kind of glossed over the titles, but the titles are pretty good, you know. And so I, I I think you've got a decent little machine here, but you've got to put up with the size, and you've got to put up with the uh, uh, joystick issue. I will say, 5200 cards are dirt cheap for the most part. I mean, I've yeah. got I pick them up all the time for no good reason, and they're basically giving them away. So. Uh, I think it's a pretty decent little console. So, <clears throat> we were tasked to pick a couple different games from the 5200 library. Now, it's funny. I went through and played a bunch of these, Brinsty. I, really? I, I, yeah. I, well, I figured I wanted to pick something. There are so many uh, clones. Absolutely. And there are so or, I mean, Not clones, but, you know, ports. Ports, yeah. And there are so many games that appeared everywhere. And I was trying to find something that I that didn't see much of. And so I ended up picking a game that only had a couple official uh, releases on different machines. And I'll be honest with you, I've never heard of it. I'll go ahead and lead the dance this week. And so the game I ended up picking was called The Dreadnought Factor. Incredible course, name. The cool guy name. You know me. That's all I need to hear, brother. The Dreadnought Factor. Yeah. I love it, man. Incredible name. So <clears throat> this was released by the fine folks uh, over at Activision. And of course, you'll, you'll recall Activision... Who effectively invented the 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 uh, we'll make crap for your machine genre, <laughs> you know, and that that made Atari so mad. Uh, and the Activision was they were they weren't just going to do stuff from the twenty six hundred. They were do- they were moving up, <clears throat> and so they went ahead and made some stuff for the uh, fifty two hundred as well. Uh, this was created by Cheshire Engineering, conceived and designed by Tom Lowry. That Tom Lowry's done a lot of stuff including uh, he, did, he was behind the PGA Tour stuff, Speed Racer, Grand P- Prix, Test Drive 3. Uh, remember Alcazar? We played that. Mm-hmm. He was behind that. He did Worm Whomper, and he did Steel Thunder. He designed all those games. He also programmed a couple games we've covered. He did the D&D games on the Intellivision, Need for Speed 3. He also did Boxing and Sub Hunt. Uh, he programmed those. This particular version was programmed by Eric Nickel. As far as I can tell, this is all you ever did. <laughs> I looked him up. Now, the dreadnought factor was actually released you can put this in the pit two hundred and the Atari eight bits had a version of this. Yeah. Which effectively is pretty much the same. This also had an Intellivision release. That's why I picked it, because I thought that was unusual. Those mm-hmm. those cons those consoles aren't what I would call cross compatible for the most part. And and there are striking differences between the two, which I'll I'll sure. get into in due time. So Uh, What is this game? So, you play a... You have a little fighting ship, and your goal is to knock out these large Star Wars, Star Destroyer-style capital ships. It's a very interesting game. This has a cool backstory. I'm going to read a little bit of it here. Uh, The Zorbon Dreadnoughts are spaceships that are uh, 140,000 feet long and weigh 970 megatons. Not just tons, megatons. (laughs) making them the largest, most heavily armored spaceships ever created. A fleet of these large battlecraft are now headed towards your home planet, and it is your job to stop them. Uh, the game is played from a side-scrolling overhead point of view. Not in this case. It's it's, it's a, a straight up and down point of view. Yeah. <laughs> so this came, from, this came from the Intellivision version. Uh, on, on each pass of the spaceship, you try to bomb and shoot as many of the enemy vents as possible. Now, that's key, and we'll get back to that. <clears throat> so, your ship, compared to the uh, nine hundred and seventy megaton ships, is no megaton. It's a it's a tiny little YARS Revenge style, or, or or asteroids. It's your typical Atari ship, a tiny little ship in a huge universe. Yeah. It's a, you're basically right. a U, and you're you know the dreadnought uh, factor. The dreadnoughts are cool looking, big capital ship. Your ship not cool looking nah. at all. A completely <laughs> indescript, the flashing ship. That comes you're a on flashing the U. A the a flashing letter U. <clears throat> So, what is this game? Let's get down to the nitty gritty. You see, this game starts off giving you give you a choice of what to, of which levels to play and the difficulties, right? Then you until you I always start with one, <clears throat> and you see a, like a you're over a like a, an orb you're orbiting a planet in space. The title screen is a planet underneath. You kind of scrolling yeah. along, pretty good effect too. It's already... They had a good. They were good with that effect. I'm just saying it's it, cool. It was okay. And you see off in the distance, uh, uh, the dreadnought coming, and this little like crosshair, and you're going after him. And then you go from that sort of let's call that a map screen or a great yeah. screen. Then you are in space. Your little ship. Although I mean, all you can do nothing. Right. You, there's nothing to do with this. Screen. You just hit the button. But it's yeah. a it's a it's a visual interpretation of how close to being screwed you are. Right. It it shows you how far away, <clears throat> which means how many. Basically, attempts you have at taking down the right the, the ship. So then you you are in space. Your little ship is in space and it's flying towards something. And eventually, the something arrives, and it is the very first ship. It's a large capital ship. It's sort of like it looks sort of like a star destroyer. I'm sure that was not an accident. S- some of them do. No, this first ship does. Yeah, yeah. And so <clears throat> what you've got to do is you have to take this ship out, which seems impossible. Well, what you've got to do is take out targets on the ship. Okay, the ship is covered in guns, things that shoot bombs. There's bridges, there's uh missile silos, and vents. And you've got the goal of the shi- of your uh fighter is to bomb all the vents. When you bomb all these vents, the ship will explode. Okay, seems simple, right? It ain't. Now your ship has is armed with uh, lasers and bombs. So think of like a uh. uh Think of like a top-down, I'm trying to think like a Xevious, I guess, a game that has bom- yeah. bombs. Right? You're, you're from that, You're except for your ship's much smaller and less cool-looking than the, than the Solview. Yeah. So you've got to go through and bomb these vents. And this is pretty much the game. Uh, b- it's not b- pretty much the game. Yeah. it's the game. But while you're it, the, the ship's not just going to sit there while you beat the tar out of it. Well, it's, the first one is the, the first <laughs> ship. The guy running that ship is commander, like doofus. You know, he, he comes in peace. <laughs> he just lets you beat the crap out of his ship. But it's a good it's a good uh, tutorial warm up. Yeah. yeah. Now, blowing up different stuff has different effects. I was talking to Boat about this the other night and he couldn't he couldn't and he mentioned this in his review that he couldn't figure out what was what he's supposed to do. Because when you when you come across these capitalist ships, you cannot stop or go backward. You can slow down, but the, you can't stop. And so it's uh it's almost like almost like a a, a, a river raider, a Zaxon, except the, you control the scroll, but you can't stop it. You can yeah. slow it. And one of the things, the first thing you want to do is, on the back of these ships are engines, big old thrusters. If you take these out, you'll slow the ship down, and that slows down that scroll, all right, because the ship's not going by you as fast, you understand? So <clears throat> you've also got different areas of the ship that you can destroy that will cause different things to happen. For example, if you just, if you bomb and destroy the bridge of the ship, and some, a lot of ships have multiple bridges, yeah. this will slow the firing rate of the ship. The ship has covered in guns and bombs, tons of them, and fighter and fighter little ports where they can take off fighters. They shoot out those little and the the little triple dots of doom. Yeah, Uh, yeah. and these things uh, can be slowed by shooting on the bridge. Now, if you don't slow them, as you get later in the game, this is just like like going to the Death Star. I mean, there's lasers everywhere. It's insane. It is. It's crazy time. Uh, You again, we mentioned destroying the uh, the engines will slow the thing down. And destroying the enemy, uh, the events, the energy events, will ultimately kill it. So it's important to know what you're bombing. Now, I'm one of these guys, Brent, I don't know how you did it. I just hit both buttons at once all the time. I, I never understood why you would not do that. The only times you wouldn't want to do it is if you really had to lay in some some, some precise bombing. Every once in a while, you would. The ship shoots fast enough. I mean, you, it's one of those you can only have so many bullets on the screen at the same time. Yeah. Uh, but the ship shoots fast enough that normally uh, your ship, your bullet is off the screen by the time you need to shoot again. So you could just tape both buttons down and fly around. Right now, I don't know if you fool with the uh, options for the difficulty on this. Oh yeah, yeah. I did, and they. And I will say they're aptly named. Your bait your levels are basic. Novice, expert, and then the last one—you've got to be kidding! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you try? You've got to be kidding! No, no, because I—I I mean, I loaded it up, but I, I saw what it was. I was just like, all right, whatever. Yeah, uh, you've got a—you've got a, a goodly amount of of, uh, of destroyers, and they range. The funny thing about this game, you think to yourself, "Oh crap, they just have different shaped destroyers, and that's it." Well. <laughs> You'd be amazed at the difference that makes, wouldn't you? Oh, because um, yeah. You've got effectively you've got if you've got like a, a destroyer that's shaped like an M, for example, you're effectively going after two destroyers almost, and, yeah. and there's a lot of crossfire because the lasers are set up diagonally, so you're getting crossfire everywhere. Yeah. Plus those little bombs coming up, it it's pretty intense, pretty intense game. You've only got so many passes before the capital ships come to your planet, and when that happens, the game's over, and also. If you run out of ships, now you start with ten ships. Sounds like a lot, uh, but it, you can lose them pretty quick. This is one of those games where you're you could be cruising along and just hit a bad streak, and you could go through fighters real quick. Well, it, it's it's an interesting concept because every time you die, the the or, or every time you die or you get you go past the ship, the ship advances closer. Yeah, so you can die that way. I, I never died by losing all my ships. I don't. Is that even possible? I did. I did die. Oh, okay. Yeah, early on, I did. Yeah. Uh, yeah, did you get 10 to start off? Yeah, I always died by the ship getting to the planet. Yeah. Uh, because usually, if you're really screwed, you just kind of jet off. And uh, avoiding fire isn't the problem. It's being effective and avoiding fire. Because yeah. you can just go to... One extreme side of the screen, hit your gas and go all the way, nothing's yeah. gonna hit you. A lot of it is, that, uh, well, one thing that I noticed, I should mention there are five dreadnoughts. So it's a pretty good selection of dreadnoughts. Yeah. Did you see them all? Uh, I think so. Um, the, you choose what you attack. So what I'd like to do with, with my first pass, it, the, my first pass, the number one thing I like to do is number one, you've gotta take out the engines, that's a given, okay? Right? And you've gotta take out the bridge. Uh, on that first pass. And then everything else, I just tried to shoot as many guns as I could. All right, that was the first pass. The second pass was like a wipe up of the guns and then start working those vents. And then the rest of the passes were just picking off these vents. These vents... Bombing in this game is not super precise. It's not. Yeah, we should it doesn't mention. Feel good. One thing we should mention that you played this on your computer. I guess you just use your computer joystick to play it, right? Yeah, I used the Xbox. I pad. used. I played this on my uh, with. The, I, I used with an an Xbox an, with the Xbox so with the analog. With the analog, and I also played it on the arcade machine. I played it in two different areas, and the control was pretty good. But I tried to picture myself playing with a P two hundred controller, where you're, and this doing, would be a game yeah. that if your joystick wasn't ready to ready to rock and roll, you got problems. You know, because you need that precise. Those vents aren't easy to hit, and there's a ton of them. You know what I'm saying? And they're they're sp- on some of the ships. They're spread out, and so you need to have pretty precise bombing. You can get away with the kind of kind of loosey goosey shooting, but the bombing needs to be precise. But it was you did make your own strategies in this game. Now, what did you have a particular method to your madness, or did you just go near guns blazing? No, I always always went in for my first <clears throat> pass to try to get all the guns. Yeah, and I would usually get. At least two of the engines. Yeah. Second pass, I would uh, focus again on guns. I didn't realize that the uh, destroying the the bridge did anything, uh, so I never focused on that. But I, I did. I realized really early on about the engines, and I focused on the guns because the guns are what kill you more than anything else. Yeah. Um, the, uh, I shouldn't, the and then usually I also <clears throat> when I did it I would. Uh, cuz most of the ships you can work the left side and then work the right side and it yeah. makes sense yeah or, or yeah uh, that's uh, that, and that's uh, I'm not saying you have to do it that way but those are those are pretty good ideas the, these these uh ships actually had nicknames uh I'll go through a few here uh one <laughs> including jaws or the delta jaws coke bottle bat wing that's that's a different that's a different nicknames for it uh, you actually get extra points if you, uh, uh, it, the first time you see these ships and you blow them up, you get a little bonus pointed. Of course, this is a points game. Now, one thing I like about this, Brandy, is that this is, you know, Activision had a good gimmick going, and their gimmick was uh, getting patches out, and this game was a game where you could get a patch, all right? So, uh, if you could destroy an entire fleet on level four and send in a photo to Activision, you would get the... Dreadnought destroyer patch. If you're watching the video, it's a patch in the upper right hand corner. You can actually get a patch for the game, which I think is pretty cool. I always like that. Now, I, I wish I had some of those. Level four. Yeah. That. Well, how many ships is that? That's all the ships on that level of difficulty. Right, but Remember, how, was, I think there were seven. Uh, there were seven levels of difficulty. So four would have been like what? Ten ships? No, I think it just run through the entire fleet. I think you have if you beat the whole. Okay, so it's keep so going. like five ships. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so uh, that's kind of cool. I, I, no one has these patches; they're super rare. But it'd be it'd be neat to have one. Now let's talk about the Intellivision version briefly, since we'll probably never get by that way again. I thought it was neat that this was released in television. The, the the weird thing about the Intellivision version is that you crawl across the ships at a completely different angle. You go left to right on the screen, and the ships scroll horizontally. Yeah, that's weird. It is, but it actually looks pretty good. I, I haven't I didn't get to play that version, but I, I I have to give that one a shot. I thought it looked pretty cool. Overall, I really enjoyed this game. I thought it was a lot of fun. What was your take on it? Did you enjoy playing it? I thought it was real neat. I like those kind of like buzz bomb the thing, you know, things. I think the concept for this game is great. Yeah. I think the execution of what they did was good. I thought the controls could be tighter. It felt weird. I mean, I was playing with an analog. Of course, I was playing with an analog. Through an emulator, so it might have not been perfect. Plus, it's a stubby I, little analog. I, I, you know, the Atari had a much bigger; it had a full joystick analog. Sort and, of, yeah. And, and but I played this with digital too, because I yeah, me too. I, I tried it with both. Um, the controls are, are they they feel a little floaty. I mean, you go left, and then you stop going left, but your ship still goes left a few lines, yeah. a few pixel lines. Uh, so it's that kind of controls. So I, I think the concept is great. I think the execution is good. I, I think that they should have done more. I think when you are back at your planet, if you could upgrade your ship, buy a different guns, buy maybe bombs that were that when you laid them out, they did three bombs instead of one. You mean like upgrade your weaponry? Right. Like well, that. anything like that, uh, because I would have that that was a concept that didn't really appear. Back, that's that would have been a pretty. It would have been very way, advanced yeah. for the time. I, also, another thing we didn't have was like uh, enemy fighters that would actually trail you and stuff. Yeah, they, they really, all they just... Throw just a three sh- to three, yeah, yeah, and just fly straight out. Yeah, they're sort they of like, shoot, well, they're sort but, like heat-seeking, almost, yeah. but not real. But it would be cool to actually be pursued. For yeah. Example. Yeah, yeah, and and have a reason to flee. Yeah. Rather than just, I missed my vent, or I'm just going to hit forward and go real fast past it so I can make another pass. Right, right, right. I agree uh, with that. And because of that, because of that, I can't tell people you need to go out and play this game. I think if this, if, if you have a 52 emulator, if it's running on your buddy's machine, if you see it up, give it a run. I, I think it's worth your time to at least look at because the ships are kind of interesting and the different varieties are are good. I mean, you have if they if they didn't have that, this game would suck uh, because what it has. And I I didn't think the game was particularly difficult. I mean. It got hard to, if you moved up the scale. Of the yeah, I mean, it, yeah. The, just, it depends on how much fires is out there. And in yeah. fact, you know, level one, don't even play it. I mean, you always well, win. Yeah, but you get a good idea of what you're doing. Like, boat both never got past level one. Well, okay. <laughs> I, I don't see... How, I honestly don't... Unless you did not understand that you were supposed to bomb the vents... Yeah. And I didn't at first, but I figured it out. Yeah. Because you, you blow up everything else on the ship. I didn't realize there was a bomb button until, like, the third pass. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the the first level is just a throwaway. It's a tutorial level. Uh when you're starting to doing the more ships, it does get more interesting. I never felt like I I, I mean, I was challenged, but I, I got bored before I got like to a point I couldn't get past. I can think of a lot of additions that would have made this game even awesomer. And like I would be i I'd love to see an updated version of a game like this. And let me tell you why. We mentioned some of them, like pursuit fighters, upgraded weapons. Yeah. Why not have a a a, a capital ship that you come upon that is like a basically effectively a, a top down Zaxxon style ship with like jet fighters that were on landing bays that were launching as you're trying to go through them? You know, almost like a radar or, or, or like a a, a, a Raiden type thing. I think that you're asking a whole lot. I think you're, it, you're, you think, you're saying this for a remake, right? Oh yeah, okay. Sure. That, I mean, I know they weren't going to come up with this back then, but I think it would have been cool. I like I, said, I like the idea of having fighters coming after you. Yeah. You know, uh, um. I like the idea of. I mean, th- if you think about a game like this, I mean, this doesn't control like a. Uh, I mean, Roy, really you can't control the scroll of most shmups. And they, they, you know, they have a steady. They, they scroll at their pace, and you yeah. just fire. The idea that you could actually slow down the ship is cool. I like those concepts. I think that's something yeah. to that. I think they could have capitalized on that. I, but I think this is a game that's a game that's definitely worth playing. Uh, I, I really thought it was a really interesting yeah, game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we did get one. Uh, we did get one review sent in this week for this game. This time around it was the old, the old boat. A boat says, This has got to be one of the only shooters I can remember where you control the speed of the scrolling. The ability to do so, however, only adds to the shame I felt by not being able to defeat the first Dreadnought. I assume the big ship you're fighting is a Dreadnought. You're given many, many men, but only four passes over the Dreadnought. So it seems like more of a visible strategy is to just die after taking out some of the guns rather than complete a pass over the structure. Kamikaze, I would wager boat didn't know how to bomb. (laughs) Yeah. I'm serious. I I would have dollars to donate that the boat didn't know there was a bomb button. People got to remember the 1500 was the super duper System X. Yeah. It had freaking two buttons, Joe. So uh, we also, I looked at some actual reviews of this. Uh, In December 1983, Joystick Magazine gave this game four stars, called it a sure winner. Uh, A lot of these reviews are newer. The Atari Times gave this a 90 out of 100. They thought it was awesome. Uh, The IGN uh, in 2008 gave this an 80. They they were also very impressed with it. Uh, The Digital Press guys in 2003 gave this an 80. I don't know what the video game critics' uh, uh, numbering scheme is, but he gave this a 16. Uh, He says. (laughs) So, he said, the game sounds like fun, but the lousy control scheme forces you to press fire and bomb continuously, which is demanding of the hands. That's true. I'd wager he was probably playing on an actual factual joystick. So, I could see where that would cause you severe pain. I did look this up on the eBay, Brent, uh, and uh, it's there. There were plenty of copies, and they were going for pretty good money, to be honest with you. You can get an unopened, like, still-in-the-shrink copy of this for a little over 60 bucks. And then you can hmm. get loose boxes for under that, and then carts would be like I'm talking then the thirty dollar range loose, and then loose carts somewhere under that. You know yeah. but the prices were all over the map. I, mean, I those are fair. Mm. I think those are fair prices. The market is adjusting right now to these classic consoles that are sort of uninteresting. So I think they're doing this in anticipation that there's going to be a a wave of interest in the fifty two hundred like there has been in a lot of these other classic consoles. So the the prices are in flux as people try to determine how much money they can. Could tape from the pot, so there ah, you go. Ah, okay. Yeah. Well, that's, that's my that's my uh, guess on that anyway. So the Dreadnought Factor, I dug it. I thought it was pretty good. I thought it was okay. Let's close the door on the Dreadnought Factor. Now, Brent, this uh, this week you picked a an interesting title. I didn't see this one coming. Why don't you tell us what you got? I went with a movie title: Gremlins. And uh, you know, movie tie-ins usually really bad when they, especially during this era, when they come to the old uh, console market. Uh, for those that don't know, a quick thing about Gremlins the movie, uh, it was released what nineteen eighty three, eighty four, eighty four, and it was uh, it was supposed to be it was, the genre is horror. I never really saw it as horror, but I guess kind of like a comedic horror. It was a very unusual family. Comedic horror Christmas film. Yes. <laughs> you don't, they don't see those come out too much. <laughs> so, uh, just a very, very quick rundown of the movie. Uh, the the father was buying his son, Billy, a uh, Christmas gift. Went into an old shop and ended up buying a Mogwai, which is a furry, uh, almost teddy bear with big ears looking thing. That it's alive, and it walks around, it talks, and it eats, and, and it's fun to play with, all that good stuff. But there were three rules. <clears throat> uh, don't get it wet. Uh, uh, it doesn't like sunlight or light at all, uh, or bright lights. And don't feed it after midnight. Because if you feed it after midnight, bad things will happen. Yeah, so, no in the movie, all those things, of course, happen. Uh, whenever it gets exposed to bright light, it screams and cries and, and kind of goes nuts. But uh, Whenever you get it wet, it multiplies. That's its breeding, the way it breeds. Yeah. And if you feed it after midnight, and after midnight is effectively from midnight to 6 a.m., uh, it will turn into an evil version of a mogwai called a gremlin. Yeah. And It's super evil. Gremlins, where the, where the mogwais are fuzzy and soft and teddy bear-like, the gremlins are leathery and scaly and reptilian-like. Fangy. And, and they... They just like to run around and, and, and cause mayhem and, and destruction. Uh, you know, they're not really, like, murderous, but they're more, like, mischievous. Oh, no, they're murderous. Well, they'll kill you. They'll kill you. But they don't necessarily go out to kill you. They're 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 just kind of I uh, uh, I don't know. I think they're pretty murderous. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. They're not nice. They're not to be messed no, with. No, no. They're, yeah, they're certainly evil. They're chaotic evil, no question. Yeah. Uh, Geek. But, uh... So... When it came to a game form of this, there were actually a couple released. Yeah. And all of them universally panned. Yeah. However, the Atari 5200 version was a completely different version than when was released anywhere else, which is one thing that made it special. The second thing that made it special is this was at the decline, way actually into the decline of the 5200. And this was when... Jack Tramiel was coming in and taking over Atari. Okay. And <clears throat> he instantly, he said, Every, all console projects, done. We don't want you, they're it, done, right? Well, the day before, and I don't know if the programmer, uh, John Siggers uh, saw the writing on the wall, or he just got lucky, but he had sent the, I'm going to guess he saw the writing on the wall, because the day before Jack came in and made all these demands. Uh, the programmer, John, sent the chip to go get programmed yeah. to the factory. So, when all these programs, all these games for the 5200, which there was only a handful, were going to get released, they were done, they were just ready to get shipped. Uh, they got the axe put on them. Well, this was already gone, and Trammell didn't know it. So, you fast forward a little bit, all these things are manufactured. The cart, the ROMs are burnt. The carts are made. The boxes, you know, because once the process starts, there's no stopping it. It's a contracted thing. And was like, "Oh, okay, we're never selling this," and it, it caused a stir because the game was done. Tramel said, "We're never going to distribute this game. It's not going to happen." So much so that Steven Spielberg, which was the uh, pro- uh, executive producer on the movie, went to Jack Tramiel and said, I will buy every copy you have produced right now and then I will distribute this game myself. Because he wanted the, the extra bump for the movie. Right. You know, This all happened real close to the release of the movie. And Tramiel was like, screw you, buddy. You can't tell me what to do. I'm not letting go of this stuff. I would rather see this stuff rot in a warehouse with no intent to sell it than to sell you everything so you can distribute it. That sounds just like him. Yeah. So it was it, that was the nineteen eighty four. Nothing, no game release. Nineteen eighty five, no game release. In nineteen eighty six, now the Atari uh, fifty two hundred Mega dead yeah, at it, this it ended point. Production in eighty four. Mega yeah. dead. Yeah. The uh, uh, Gremlins movie franchise dead. There was a sequel, Gremlins 2, but let's just not even talk about that. I love the Gremlins 2, and I'll talk about it when it's my turn to talk. Go ahead. Uh, so, Atari's got all these warehouses they're paying space for, and they're like, you know what? Take everything out of the warehouses, distribute them. We're going to market this thing called the uh, Atari 2600 Junior. We can sell all these games that we've just been setting on. We'll make it a big you know, hoopla about it. And they did it. Well... The 5200 game, there was, that was there was a couple in there. That was the only one that actually made it to market. They didn't push it at all. It just got shipped out with all the 2600 carts that were sitting in this warehouse. Yeah. So this <laughs> thing was just put <laughs> on the shelf. I love no it. No hoopla, no nothing. And it's it sold uh, alongside. So this was the absolute last game ever sold commercially for the Atari 5200. It's <laughs> a great story. <clears throat> so, let's talk about the game a little bit. What is the game? Well, the game follows the concept of the gremlins from the movie but doesn't follow the plot of the movie. And I think this is brilliant especially given the hardware it was on because you couldn't you can't follow a movie like gremlins. No. So, what concepts does it does it hold on to? It holds on to that the gremlins are evil and will kill you. <laughs> That's all you need to know. It, right. it holds on to water. It makes them multiply. And it yeah. holds on to mogwais are cute and lovable. But if they eat, they will transform into bad people. Yeah, and some of the mogwais were sort of jerks, too, to be fair. Well, there were a couple that, like... They would look at Billy and be like, "bleh," and then like eat or jump in water just to be jerks. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that they, was before they were grim ones. then yeah. They became double jerks. <laughs> but for the most part, yeah, uh, they were they were supposed to be the lovable virgins. Yeah. So, <clears throat> in the game, you control Billy, and Billy has a sword. Now, a lot of people say, "Why does Billy have a sword?" The sword was actually in the movie. Sorta. It was hanging up on a wall, and anytime someone would close the door real hard, the sword would fall off the wall, and it became a uh, a gag part later yeah. in the movie. So I was kind of wondering that myself, yeah. but yeah, that makes sense. So, I gotcha. So I Billy that. has his sword, and he he is tasked with gathering up all the mogwai and putting them back into their cage. So they don't... It's after midnight. Uh, bad things are happening. He's trying to get them all caged back up so that they don't turn into gremlins. All right. To do this, you run around, you take your sword, you kill the gremlins, and you put the mogwai into your backpack. You can only have one at a time. And then you run them over to the cage, put them in, and run back, get another one, try to save them. That is the base of the game. And if you just had that, it would be okay, but still pretty crappy. Yeah. So, they go a lot farther. And they have puddles of water on the ground. They have food scattered throughout the house, and all that's good. But they also have set pieces on some of the levels. For an example, they have a popcorn machine that will spew popcorn all over the, the, the part of the stage that the popcorn machine is located on. And of course, if one of your mogwais eats that, he'll turn into a gremlin. They also have a fridge that is on the uh, left-hand side of the screen on some of the stages that will spew out ice from the ice maker, and then the ice melts and becomes puddles. Or you can have a gremlin get over in front of the fridge, and he'll open the fridge up and just start randomly throwing food out. Which is just brilliant. Yeah. And the last set piece that you kind of play with is at the upper part of the screen, you can have a television. And uh, and this is true to the movies, uh, with the movie lore, that if you turn a television on it will, fan, it will uh, get the attention of the gremlins and the Mogwai, and they'll just sit there and watch it. And you can go up and slice them or pick them up and take them. Perfect. Lastly, the gremlins can actually open the cage and let all the Mogwai out, and then they just run around like crazy, and you have to capture them yeah. all again. Yeah. Brilliant, yeah. brilliant yeah. stuff. This is brilliant. All of these come together to make a really interesting set piece for a game. Uh, there are two bonus stages, or they're actually not bonus stages, but they kind of are, where you have just Mogwai, and you can have to collect them all before dawn, for before morning comes, uh, which is 6 a.m., and it actually has a clock on the screen that always counts up. And if dawn comes... The screen does this brightening effect, which is pretty good. Yeah, it's. I thought my thing was (laughs) glitched when I did that the first time. And then the stage ends. Yeah. Uh, Then there was another bonus stage where it was just gremlins. You're just surrounded by gremlins and you just got to kill them all. Yeah. Brilliant stuff. This game is on the cusp of being an absolute classic. Uh, I think two things that kill it are the palette yes. that is used yeah. because the game, while everything looks like what it should look like, I mean, you can tell Grimlin from Maguire from Billy. You yeah. can tell the fridge, the television, you, the walls in the room, all of that is distinguishable, but absolutely ugly. It's it's as close to monochrome as you're gonna see on a console yes. like this. Uh, and that, I think, I'm not a big graphics makes a game guy, kind of guy. Yeah. But this hurts the game. It hurts yeah, the game. Yeah, I agree. What doesn't hurt the game, well, you know what? I'm going to pass it off to you. I want to hear your opinion on it, and then I want to go into some of the technical marvels of this game. Well, just to back up for a minute, I I, I love this movie. I saw this with the folks in the theater. Yeah, it's, it's a gr- it's a fun movie. And I'll, I also love the sequel, because this, and I know people rag on it, but they don't get it. The sequel is, is basically trolling the original. That's yeah. what makes it great. That's what makes it... I mean, the sequel was great because they knew they could remake this. They're like, we're going to make something so outlandish and we're going to make fun of ourselves and it was great. But this was a great film. Great soundtrack. Great theme. You know, I wanted to put footage of this thing in the, in the show, but since we just got out of YouTube jail, I don't want to get thrown back in. Yeah. I, was, also, I was scared. this is for the, for the U.S. audience. This was the first PG-13 movie. PG-13 was actually made in somewhat because of this film. Because it had gore, it had violence, uh, but it was oh, trying yeah. to be a family movie, yeah. so it got a PG-13 this, rating. This movie is an, an anomaly. It mentioned, is. It's a Christmas family horror film. Yeah. And the gremlins, I mean, they're they're funny, they're Muppet-like, you know, and they're, and they're active. I mean, they're real wacky. But they're also you. They'll yeah. bite you. Yeah. They're evil. And the thing is, they're not just like a... St- they're not just like animals. They know what they're doing. They're yeah. jerks. Yeah. And their leader stripe. He's like King Jerk. Yeah. He talks smack. He's a jerk. And Gizmo, the, the Mogwa, the original Mogwai, such a cutie. You know, they did a great job. All the actors in this were great. Just this is a great film. So the games that came home, I don't think I've ever liked any. And I've yeah. got to definitely say that when you told me you were picking gremlins, I'm like gremlins? Oh no! I, play, I feel like the Amiga's got kind of a version. I've and I don't like any of them. Yeah, they're all garbage. And so when I saw this come up, and I'm like, "Why does Billy have this lightsaber? What's happening here?" You know, and you can almost—I mean, they take, like you said, they take the most basic elements of Gremlins, and then they said, "Okay, let's do a single, single uh, screen." Like, arcade-style game. Robotron's feeling sort of it, game. Yeah, when I first played it, Robotron was what came to mind, because you're in a box, and there's stuff walking on the place. but it's not really like Robotron, because uh, there's no shooting, for one yeah. thing. But it is chaotic like Robotron, but it is a brilliant game. I mean, it really is. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't believe how much I enjoyed it. I played it a lot. The fact that you have to uh, the the obstacles, the crap the, and that, like you said mentioned the fridge and the TV and stuff that come up. I mean they don't you don't start with all this stuff, they come up eventually, but it makes it more fun. The fact that these guys will just go out and eat. That when you die, like they kill you and you turn like a skeleton. Yeah. It's, a, it's almost it's a like a dirt, dirt, and daring yeah. style death. Uh and and uh, I like the sound. I like pretty much all of it. Now here's the part I don't like. Just like you said, this game's hampered just by just it's ugly. It's, if Boat were here, he'd be like, oh, there's that brown, earthy cut tone. He ate a palette. He hates." And this is a t- very earthy tone. And if you hadn't seen the film, uh, this probably would just seem like a pretty fun arcade romp, that yeah. Yeah, which you, didn't, you don't necessarily have to see the film. But the, the color palette is surprising because the 500W they could have... I mean, Dreadnought, for example, it's got a, a good color. There's a lot of games that have good color. I'm not sure why they went with almost... It almost reminds me of playing like a Spectrum game. You know, just a couple Spectrum had there were reasons why its games looked like this. I can't figure out why the Atari version is so weird looking. Would you like to know? I wouldn't well, there's an I, answer to I this. I think question? I have an answer. All right, let's hear it. Did you did you play any of the later stages? I played until I died. I don't know how far I got. Uh there are stages where there are up to and including twenty-four. Oh, yeah. Twenty-four gremlins on the stage. And that alone is amazing. Yeah. Because they are all independently moving. Uh, no, it seems kind of random, but they're all independently moving. Yeah. Also, with the popcorn machine and the fridge, there can be, I mean, dozens upon dozens of pixels that you can interact with on the screen. So, what you're conjecturing is this is like some like a four color high res type thing. Yes. The, you might be right. Yes, because the popcorn machine, I, mean, I, I just let it run one time, just to see how much it... And there were probably 40 to 50 pixels of popcorn. And it's not just like the popcorn hits the screen and then becomes something you can't interact with. You can pick up all the popcorn for points. You can pick up all the food that's thrown for points. Yeah. So all these objects are still interactable uh, when they're on screen. And is there slowdown? Yes. When you get to where it's I'm full of popcorn, yeah. full of gremlins, full of food, it does start to slow down a little bit. It reminded me of zookeepers slow down. You know how be it, a sort of, of yeah. yeah. Uh, but I think that's where where the palate got reduced to where it was at. You might be on uh, something there, Branny, because there was just I was blown away. At the technical marvel of how many things were on screen. Yeah, and it gets it's chaotic, yeah. is the word. And and it's amazing if you consider uh, this thing's not running at some kind of super high res. They're pounding a lot of stuff on that yes, screen. Yes, they sure uh, are. You may be onto something. I, I will say the first time one of those little jerks opened the pin, I was stunned <laughs> at that. Yes. I was like, what the? These guys. They did a good job of uh, with these uh, with these gremlins because they are a little conniving little scumbag. Yeah, because the popcorn machine isn't even on at the beginning yeah. of levels. The the gremlins go and turn See, it on. That's what you need. They they yeah. the fridge just sits there and is a fridge until the gremlins go over and and hit it, and that's what makes all the onions pop out, or they throw game, the food. That's one of the things that makes this game great is the yes. fact that they actually like it's hard to capture how big a gremlins are like notorious through history of being these little at that screw junk up and they they did it they actually got that they captured that concept perfectly yes and even the mogwa like i said they roll they don't roll right towards that food oh they go for yeah and you're like no 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 you're <laughs> trying to catch these little scumbags and put them in their pen i mean they captured the manic feel of the film absolutely in a, in a good way this was a huge surprise to me I, I gotta say i never heard of this i never played it i never seen it and so when it when I played it and, and didn't hate it, because I mean I was gonna kill this game, because I'm always mad when they have a take a good film and they blow it. They didn't blow it. Yeah, uh, and it's it's a shame that this. So this was strictly a. a, a did this come out on the even you know, on the eight bits? I from what I can tell. This version of Gremlins was unique to the 5200. I'm sure by now you can play it on the 8-bit. And I think yeah. it might have been on the 8-bit computers. Yeah. Uh, but I couldn't... I, 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 anytime this game is mentioned, this version of the game, they're always talking about the 5200. But of course, it's also because it's got the story of the last cart, yeah. uh, how it was made and kind of avoided the the, the power of Drek Tremel to even get released. It was uh, a mistake, effectively, to release it. Is what you're saying. They just released it along with all the Junior. With yeah. all the, that's crazy. Yeah. I love it. Uh, I love two that. other things I want to say about this game right. that, I, that I feel need to be mentioned. One, the sound on this is not bad. I mean, it's working with 5200 sound, Yeah, and it's not bad. Uh, the second thing I want to mention about this game is that... Uh, shoot, I can't remember what the second thing was. Well... <laughs> And apparently, another thing it does is affect your mind. <laughs> You're an idiot. Uh, but I highly recommend. This is a game worth finding a 52 emulator, 5200 emulator. Play, load it up, play it. Yeah. It's good enough to do it, guys. This is a good one. I mean, you, you found a good one here. It's a winner. I like. I thought both these games were good, but this one. I, I think. I think Dreadnought Factor is a fun game. But this one is such a surprise given just how lame most of these games are. Oh, point! It's a point game. Yeah. That's the other thing I was going to mention. The more Mogwai you save, the more points you get, uh, which makes it... And they're a huge part of the point. Uh, To end a level, you have to kill all the gremlins and put all the Mogwai into the cages. Yeah. Or... If it becomes 6 a.m., the night ends, that also ends the stage. And you don't die from that. You just, the stage ends. I wish they had had a cool theme in there. You know, like, in a a really good way. Because the Atari Atari can put out some decent tunes, and the theme for this is so good. And actually, the the song would have fit the action quite nicely. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think so. So, we did get a a user review. You got me doing now. A listener review. (laughs) Again, from the boat. Uh, I will have a look at this. It says... This game impressed me with its snappy opening tune. However, the thrill stopped there as I loaded the first level was greeted with a particular shade of brownish green <laughs> so endemic to the Atari line of computers, which appears to have seeped its way into the 5200. Your dude is well animated, and all of the good and bad Gremlin Mogwai gang look reasonably good. The game could have used bop and in-game music, but other than that, I had a good time doing something that resembled Food Fight and Zookeeper. This one's a keeper, eight out of 10. That was a talk mixed bag review from the boat right there. Like he was all over the map. Uh, did you did you eBay this one? I did. And let me tell you, last game for the system. Yeah. Never should have been released. Yeah. You, you're dead. You're, yeah. Uh, no, thirty bucks. Oh, so but loose carts for this thing go for eighteen. Yeah. Boxed uh, copies go for about thirty. Were there any sealed on this one? Did you see the sealed? Uh, the the new in the sealed price. I guess the was. In the forty-five dollar range, yeah, uh, but I didn't see any of those actually up for sale. So this is very obtainable if you are a fifty-two hundred fan. I want to I want to mention before we uh, before we move along that I did look up. If you're gutsy, you got some jack, and you want to buy yourself an Atari fifty-two hundred, there you can often find a deal on these. Uh, I saw them going for sixty dollars and up, depending on what a uh, batch of games and uh, peripherals and joysticks. I will say, we didn't mention this, but uh, as bad as the joysticks are, this game did have one of the all-time great peripherals released for it, which was the was the trackball. Uh, the trackball for this is as big as the unit. It's monster. It's huge, yeah. Another thing that you could beat a man to death with, but uh, this trackball unit is unbelievably solid, an excellent unit. Uh, one of the all-time great trackball releases for any console and uh, an, a an, an lovely item, uh, but I mean they're out there too. They were out there. They're not too bad. Uh, but uh, if you're looking to get a 50, into the 5200 uh, game, you can get in on it cheap. But you know, again, be aware you're gonna you're and almost certainly going to get bad joysticks, and you're almost certainly uh, going to be getting uh, port after port, uh, port after, after port. Yeah, yeah you've got to understand what you're getting. Now, I don't. You know, it's funny. Atari often has great homebrew. Now, I have I didn't check. To see what kind of homebrew action uh, that the 5200 is getting, it's out there, but it's not, it's it, not tapped it, like. If most you want things my are. opinion, all right, this is one man's opinion. And, and now, for one, for, if you're a collector, get because uh, I got one. You get what you get. You know, sometimes you buy something you know it's not that great. If you just want to play a bunch of great 5200 games, go out and get yourself an 8-bit Atari computer, uh, and get you one of these yeah. SD card solutions, and that will take care of you good and proper. Yeah. This thing also emulates perfectly well through, through MAME sure. or whatever. So you won't have any trouble there. Because, it, and I don't normally, say, advise to go this room, but the joysticks on these thing are such a, a pass or to yeah, keep up. If you don't have the ability to do electronics work, I, I wouldn't mess with it. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and also I should mention, if you ended up getting the, the the second version, I don't know if this thing works the version, but you can always get the... Uh, the Atari 2600 adapter, which I see these things occasionally. In fact, there's one right down the road here in Milton. Just, just go buy an Atari 2600 adapter. But if you're, you're wanting to play 2600 games, I would advise getting you a 7800. They're easy yeah. to mod with a, with a composite out, and they're also they're cheap, cheapest chips, and you can get them, and they have that inherent 2600 ability right out of the box. So, speaking of thinking out of the box, right you know what it's time for. Grab that there wheel. Let's buy Yeah. wheel. That up. Okay. Now, Aaron, do you remember what we added to the wheel? I don't. Oh, yeah, I do. You told me that we what we decided to add uh, CPS1 games, I believe. CPS1 arcade games uh, for the new piece. And for the Retro Rewind piece, we have the Sega Master System. Now, tell them what we lost this week. We lost the Super, Super Nin- Nintendo. Yeah. It's out of the box. So. Yep. Yeah, so, I mean, the Retro Rewind refreshes every week, win or lose. So, Brent, he's a harsh pass master with the old rewind. Here we go. Wow, that's a good spin. That's a real Holy good moly. You have a preference this week? Uh, I always want to see a rewind, but we're going to go with... What do we get? CPS1 Arcade. There it is. And how often does that happen? You get it right, out of, uh, right out of the gate. More often than you think. Now, uh, CPS1 Arcade... Uh, the Capcom arcade board that had quite a few uh, games for it. So Absolutely. That would be a lot of fun. To get we haven't played in the arcade stuff for a while, so we're going back to the arcades next week. Uh, hey, listen, we'd like to thank our good buddy, The Dunk, Duncan Styles, for these uh, awesome Tron like 3D graphics that we couldn't generate in a million years. No. Uh, we'd also like to thank our good buddy, The Bark Bit, the musical maestro who put together our closing theme. Excellent closing theme. Uh, hey, real quick, I want to touch. If you are listening to us, be sure to check us out on Anchor FM. Uh, They are hosting all of our podcasts now. You can get their podcast listener. Uh, It does chapters. We actually break the show up into two chapters now, first game, second game. So, if you're just interested about one of the games, you can click, like, to it. You can hear an awesome ad stuck in there that uh, we worked uh, many hours yeah. on. Yeah, uh, you, you know, I'm not saying, hey, go listen to our ad, but go listen to our ad. It's funny. I like it. It's 30 seconds. Fine. it. took it. us hours to it, do that. it. It took us longer than it should Brent's have. Brent's a perfectionist. Uh, uh, Me and no. Boat <laughs> sat down, and we just, like, we didn't have any plot. We are just like, let's do it, hey, ad. but hey, an ad. This one was meticulously worked over. It was good fun. Uh and also our anchor you could listen to any of our shows. So go back listen to the very first one if you dare. Listen to me in the boat starting up 16. You can hear Boat's cool closing theme. Aaron and Boat, making a new podcast. Remember that one? And you can just skip to the second game and get to it faster. Yeah, I'll bo- and Boat even plays trombone on that one. So if you really want to go, if you want to go back and hear it. Uh, you, any other announcements you want to get into? We managed to stagger through a stream this week. It went, up, it went down a couple of times. And it just went down. There you go. Well, that's, a, that's the way it goes. Any final thoughts? Uh if you want to support ARG directly, you can do that by becoming a, a, a person on anchor.fm. And there we go. I think that's going to wrap us up. Uh, you know, the second I said we made it through another stream, the stream died instantly. So, but, hey, we made it through most of the stream. So, we'll try to do better next time, Brenster. Uh, next week, CPS One, Capcom Arcade Action. Until then. Bye, bye-bye, bye-bye, Bye, Bye.